Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast, the only podcast about the people, businesses and challenges involved in moving and storing products through the temperature-controlled supply chain in the UK and the world. I'm Shane Brennan, and when I'm not running this podcast, I'm the Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. We've got another great episode for you today. Um, It's part of our ongoing sort of mini-series of interviews with trade association leaders in the UK. People who do the same sort of job as myself, but um, in sort of slightly larger organisations. It's probably not something you spend a lot of time thinking about, but there are actually quite a lot of different trade associations out there. Some represent um, small subsectors or niches within within the industry, like the Cold Chain Federation, and others are major sectoral organisations. And today, we're talking to the leader of one of the bigger organisations in our industry, the Road Haulage Association. Richard Burnett's been in post now for about six years as the leader of the Road Haulage Association. He fits in the guise of somebody who had a long career, actually at the coalface as an operator running te- logistics businesses, in fact, running temperature-controlled logistics businesses in some cases. And so he brings that kind of understanding and knowledge of the industry to, to his role. But now his job is very much about the, being the interface between the role haulage industry in the UK and the government that regulates it. And he's had a pretty full-on time of it with uh, the migrant crisis, the uh, Brexit situation, and now, of course, COVID-19. And so he's really been sort of focused on all of that. And I'm really keen to get under the skin of some of that with him in our conversation. I caught up with Richard in the week after he just got back off uh, a well-deserved break. The first holiday I think he'd had in in the whole year, something that the pressures of the job really have not really allowed him to have that kind of break before then. So um, it was particularly uh, generous of him to give us his time. Before we get into the program, I want to just remind you that the Cold Chain Podcast is a whole back catalogue of episodes now with different people lead, running businesses, um, involved in, in organize, trade bodies and other organisations influencing the Cold Chain. It's a really good archive of, of, of interesting conversations, so please check it out. And we've got a load of great stuff coming up as well, so if you really want to support our podcast, then please make sure you go and subscribe, either via your podcast app or um, via the website. But you know, the more support you give us, the more we can get our word out there and the more uh, we can keep delivering you this great content and these great interviews. Let's enjoy the programme. Hi, Richard, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Shane. It's great to be here. And uh, th- thanks for the invitation. I'm delighted to have you on for a number of reasons. Firstly, because you've been personally very supportive of me throughout the past two years that I've been in post at Cold Chain. And secondly, because I know that you bring some unique insights into what is going on in government and industry at such a crucial time. But most of all, because you are very much home team when it comes to all things cold chain, having had long experience of leadership within temperature controlled logistics. So can I start there and ask you to tell our listeners a bit about that experience? Yeah. Um, well, uh, do, do you know what, Shane? It's been it's been a really interesting sort of, uh, I guess, career path. I mean, you know, y- yes, I've been in, in logistics for something like 35, 35 years. Uh, and before I did this job, I, I was the managing director of uh, Soundless Supply Chain. And, uh, you know, for the period that I was there, you know, it's a really tough environment. You know, um, uh, temperature controlled logistics is, 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 is incredibly challenging, very fast paced, very, you know, a very difficult environment. So, um, you know, I, th- I think to, to have experienced that as well as, as ambient distribution and uh, contract logistics in lots of different areas, but then, you know, having to understand uh, the complexities of, of uh, the cold chain. Um, 
that that was that was a real challenge for me personally from a career perspective but but then coming out of that uh, and then picking up you know this role as the the chief executive of the road haulage association was was a bit of a baptism of fire you know so going from being within the industry operating within the, within the industry but then representing the industry uh, a bit of a culture shock really um but i think that the 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 benefit of working within the industry for so long uh, and moving into uh, you know a, a sort of representational role like the role that, that, that I'm doing now means that I can apply that that kind of operational logic, the experience and knowledge that I've gained over those years, and try and apply it in in terms of how we how we deal with issues with government, how we how we try and challenge government, uh, you know. But it's a very different environment to 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 you know being an operator. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's a real culture shock, real culture shock for me. Yeah, and I think it's something that um, you've um, retaken, what do I know, but you've retaken to it in terms of your, in terms of, in terms of how you've sort of, sort of been in the right man at the right time when it comes to all the crises we've been dealing with in the past uh, in the past five years. I doubt you knew that that was what you were signing up for when you took over the RHA, um, I think, Brexit and COVID. If I knew what I was signing up for, Shane, I probably would have said no, I think, at the time. But, but you know, yeah, I mean, th- there has been crises after crises. And, and um, I, I remember, you know, very soon after I kind of took the role on, uh, you know, we had the migrant crises, uh, you know, in, 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 in sort of northern France. Not that that hasn't been a crisis for years, but, you know, we, we, had, the, we had the jungle, we had the camp. Uh, and I guess my operational background sort of suggested, look, the only way to try and understand the problem and, and, and real tr- really try and deal with it is by going in and looking at it. And, we, you know, we, I took the team over there. We spent a lot of time, you know, with the locals trying to understand how we protected drivers, how we supported, you know, the industry and, and kept things moving. And I think we've tried to apply that pro- process right the way through everything that we've done, that we've become a lot more sort of frontline uh, you know, and, and and sort of getting close to the the detail of what's going on operationally to then try and solve the problems and take that evidence back to government to support it. So, yeah, and then and then obviously Brexit, God, Brexit's taken probably most of your time and my time uh, over over the last two or three years. Uh, and when you picked up this role in 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 uh, you know uh, in the cold chain. Um, I, you know, it, it has. It's literally just been one thing after another, and then and then obviously COVID pandemic. Uh, it's been unbelievable. It's been a roller coaster. It really has. I think it's probably it's actually quite a telling thing that it has been a. And obviously, my background is government relations and public affairs for, for throughout. And um, I think we go, we have been in a particularly kind of operational period of government relations. I would say with it is crisis management that we've been in and. We keep thinking that maybe the crisis management phase will end and we'll get back to something like what was normal business, but I don't think we're getting there anytime soon. Do you? It, it, it doesn't feel like it, Shane. And I think what's been really interesting over over a similar period that you and I have both been kind of you know um, supporting one another really is that the government has been like it's been like a revolving door. You know whether it's you know you've got the continuity of the civil the civil servants, but in terms of ministers. Uh, you know, and the change in ministers and the speed at which ministers were changing and the speed at which, you know, there's been changing government, you know, different prime ministers, uh, you know, different cabinet offices. Uh, that's been an enormous challenge to try and to try and maintain that 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 focus with government and actually get results because because it's it's been changing so often. It's been so chaotic, but I, I can't see that changing at the moment, really. No. 
No, I, I don't either. I mean, we were supposed to get Boris was supposed to bring stability, wasn't he? That was the whole. That was the whole idea. To be fair, he couldn't have predicted COVID, could he? Um, think about that sort of leadership thing. Obviously, coming from operational leadership in 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 sort of corporations like like Samworth and others, um, observing as you do quite closely what's going on with the ministerial uh, leaders that you sort of deal with, sort of um, on behalf of the industry. Do you think there are? Do you think there's two sort of talk to each other? with a kind of common understanding? Do you think ministers really get where leaders in our industry are coming from? I think that, 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 that there's, there's a massive void, there's a massive gap in terms of, you know, you, you, you have career politicians, uh, you know, and, and I guess politicians that have also been in careers. But those career politicians are kind of devoid of any real understanding, I think, uh, in my experience, you know, when, when we're having conversations with them, they don't really get or understand the detail. I think there are some exceptions to that where there are some good ministers and good secretaries of state that have that have come from a commercial world and a commercial background. But, you know, again, you know, whether it's a, a backbench MP or, or a minister or government, you know, they have the attention span of a gnat most of the time and, and trying to actually get them to understand the level of detail that they really need to understand a lot of the time is is part of the challenge. I think things that have happened certainly around COVID, um, you know, clearly it's been a massively challenging time for everyone, but government have really woken up to realise, I, I guess, just how integrated the supply chain is in the UK, how critical that's been in terms of keeping the nation fed you know right the way through the uh you know the the, the food resilience industry forum calls that, that that we've we've had to support and um you know i i think they've learned a great deal from it to the point that 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 um whitehall is now creating a a road haulage task force to start focusing on on you know the future of road haulage, but but also how does it support recovery as we come out of, of COVID, and how do we actually track and monitor what's going on? So, you know, I think I think it's 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 certainly been difficult. I think we're going through this evolution of of, of learning, and I think that 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 governments are beginning to realise just how integral and how important road haulage distribution logistics is to the UK economy. Uh, and if that's a good thing that comes out of of, of COVID and to a degree Brexit, uh, that's got to be a positive. But I think it's upon us, Shane, to, to kind of carry on driving that momentum and the industry to get behind that uh, to make sure that we don't lose, you know, I guess the progress that 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 we you know we've made, albeit probably slow. Yeah, no, I completely. Um agree with you on that can i just ask you sort of obviously we're now five months into the covid crisis which sort of came came on us pretty much overnight um, and i know you've worked more you know tirelessly and i've what i can vouch for your efforts personally in terms of trying to get the right support into the industry at the different points what's your assessment of where we're at right now in terms of the state of the haulage industry um are we still at the crisis point we were? Um, is it worse, better? Where, where, what's your prognosis from from here to where we're, we're heading? It's an interesting question, Shane. I think I, I think you know, you know, going back to, to to those early days of when the the COVID pandemic struck, and you, you and I were working very closely together, and I remember you know lots of calls Saturday and Sunday when we we're dealing with DEFRA and. Uh, you know all that kind of stuff, ensuring that that that, that you know the, the competition issues were were being dealt with, and then we start we started to work through you know maintaining flow of of, of food. You know, that meant that the elements of the supply chain were incredibly busy, but then when we went into lockdown, we saw we saw sector by sector 
um, you know, each of those sectors kind of start to, to, to drop in terms of volume. Some sectors decimated more than others. Concerts, for instance, you know, would have been one. But then, you know, food, the food supply chain, supermarkets incredibly busy uh but but you know um i i guess the food supply into in, in, into bars restaurants food service dropped off a cliff construction dropped off a cliff uh you know removals dropped off a cliff you you go through each of these sectors and you start to see the decimate you know it being decimated and um I think that, that that as we've started to unlock, we've started to see some of these sectors come back. But the big issue that we saw as well for those operators that continued was the integrated supply chain, the backhauls, the efficiency has dropped enormously. And I think we're seeing we're seeing you know we're still seeing that inefficiency. We're still seeing volumes, although coming back down in in many areas. I think you know those businesses that did very well, food obviously, but but you know the the parcel delivery side of things very strong and continues to be, and also the pallet deliveries because behaviours changed. People wanted to have, you know, I, I guess different products delivered to their their front door, whether it's you know gardening equipment or or, or anything that they were going to do in terms of uh, time that they were furloughed or off. Um, but that recovery is slow, and I, and I think that, that that what we're sensing is we've still got a very high proportion of people furloughed. And as we see the tapering furlough between now and the end of October, you know, we're seeing in the press every single day, uh, you, you know, um, redundancies. When we get to October and we see the true the true scale of that, we are a volume based, you know, sector. If, if we haven't got volume, if people haven't got money in their pockets to spend because they're unemployed, we will naturally see a downturn in the economy and the market, I think, you know, further from now. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of nervousness and, and, and sort of caution at the moment, just in terms of what's that, what is that really going to look like? And, uh, you know, are we, are we seeing, uh, you know, a kind of artificial recovery at the moment, you know, uh, and from October onwards, we're going to, we're really going to start to see, you know, what those challenges mean. And um, I think that the government really do need to recognize for those sectors that are struggling that they're going to need to continue to support them. And I think that that's, that's certainly not coming through at this stage. And I don't know about you, but, you know, we had lots of operators that really struggled to get financial support through COVID, whether it was the, the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme, where they couldn't get it because they, they couldn't provide a clear forecast of what the future looked like, um, or, or even some of the bounce back loans, just in terms of, you know, being able to access those sorts of things. Furlough, I think, has been a, a godsend. But, but like I say, I don't think this support for our industry where we've got lots of fixed costs and we're seeing, you know, slow volume coming back is really going to, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, support the industry in, in, in the way in which we'd like it to. And I think, you know, certainly for me, probably for you, we're going to have to, uh, you know, re really look after our membership post-October when we see the the true scale of what's happened yeah i think you're a really really well made point i think the that kind of recognition of what of the of, the, of how the, the industry stepped up to deal with the crisis particularly at the start and a lot of awareness of that i think there was a lot of goodwill there um, and i think that you say the furlough support which the government has spent a huge amount of money on provides you the opportunity to hibernate it doesn't provide you the opportunity to come back it actually it actually stands against you coming back so how they get that how they get their head around the need to provide that support back to full strength, whatever full strength looks like, is going to be the the challenge. And I'm, 
it's not sure sitting here today how they're going to go about about doing that but i know certainly in your case you'll be um and, and we'll be supporting you and and we're working with all the other organizations to try and make sure they they make that point uh, make that understand that point in terms of um i think it's a bit early to ask this question so it's a bit unfair but um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna ask it anyway okay. uh, do you think that there's a, a legacy of covid19 for the road-based logistics sector that we're starting to that we, do we know what that legacy is going to be well you know look i i think that 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 um you know part part of what 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 we'd done through COVID was we tried to raise awareness of of you know the good work that this industry was doing I think you and I probably saw at first hand some of the challenges were, you know, drivers uh, were being asked to deliver products. They were on the front line just in the same way that the NHS, you know, staff were on the front line. Uh, and we were asking them to do that uh, when, when everyone else was, was being asked to stay at home. And there was real emotion around that. There was, there was real challenge and, 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 you know, it was difficult persuading people to come in to do that. Um, and we, you know, we, we, we led a campaign called HGV Heroes uh, to try and celebrate, promote, but also say, look, you know, th these are the unsung heroes. Um, and I think that, 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 you know, we need to drive that. I don't think our industry ever felt as, as kind of important as it did when people started to recognize just how vital it was that food was being delivered onto the shelves. Um, and going back to that point I made earlier about, about government's recognition of, of this now, I think that that um, you know that 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 legacy in terms of both the general public, hopefully remembering what we're about and what we're doing, and having some respect for us, because that's that's one of the big challenges. Um, but also, you know, government creating a focus on the future in terms of investment. So rather than kicking this industry, supporting this industry, uh, and making sure that we've got the right investment, capital investment for the future where we are challenged to do so and and you know I, I guess we're going to come on you know and talk about sustainability and you know again and how do we get this that that that, that right level of support but i think if there's a legacy that comes out of the pandemic which is both government and the general public really truly understand the value of logistics supply chain and its importance uh, and we get behind it and you know we've also got national lorry week uh, you know um to, to, to tomorrow it's 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 you know the launch of national Lorry week it's 12 weeks away but but there's going to be a build towards it to culminate you know between the 16th and the 22nd of, of, of november where the industry gets behind and, and actually celebrates and supports uh, everything it's done uh does day in day out but it you know, it's only, it's only what it's done through 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 the pandemic so like i said if that's the legacy that we create which is focused from government and general public i think that can't be a bad thing yeah and i, I guess my my i think we probably both would say to everyone get behind those things because whilst they might feel a little bit like you know cheat might, might, some people might roll their eyes a little bit and feel they're a bit cheated they really are they're really important firstly because the people in our in our industry really value them on the front line when yeah. they see this stuff and secondly it really creates that noise it really makes sure we we're keeping that momentum up around that positivity because people will forget unless we unless we do our job to remind them so thank i'm really uh, really endorse what you're doing with that um the leadership rha is showing um i just need to ask you a bit about brexit this is a topic that could go on forever so we're not going to spend forever on it because i want to get on to like you say sustainability stuff but um one thing that sort of I've heard a lot in government over the last few weeks is a bit of 
and it's not quite patting each other on the back, but it's kind of, we need to keep the momentum up of all the good work we've done together on COVID to make to manage our way through the Brexit uh, transition in, in January. Do you think the parallels between those two things are, are as close as government and some others are suggesting? I, th- I, I, I think how we've managed through the COVID pandemic, um, you know, we, we had to go to almost operational war room, didn't we? we, we certainly with the Food Resilience Industry Forum, there was a clear view that that, that actually we needed to come come together. And I think you, you know you were on those calls. I was on you know on those calls. You know, there's 143 people from food manufacturers, you know, uh, retailers uh, talking about the day-to-day issues. And and they started the frequency. You know, was probably you know every day. Then it was every other day. Then it you know it went down to two. Two, two days a week but that kind of war room approach to to dealing with you know what the issues were was very powerful and that coordination with Chris Tyus being brought in ex Nestle to support that process and, and and steer that process I think was very very successful and I think what's you know this this talk about that being sort of you know reignited in September to me it shouldn't have stopped to, to me it should have just carried on and we should have just gone from covid into into transition planning and that should have continued and i think that that focus in terms of bringing both you know uh, the supply chain together food you know retail but 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 the broader supply chain in terms of in terms of how do we make sure that we're talking through these practical and tactical issues um i think is very relevant to ensuring that that, that that we're dealing with those those issues before yeah. transition. We're, we're going to hit a problem now, aren't we? Because I think one of the things that I um, I think government isn't really got their head around is that whilst the, the, the whole impulse behind the COVID work, the, the, the industry working with government was, how do we get barriers out of the way? You know, how do we reduce the regulatory barriers to make sure the, the logistics business can get on and do their job? The problem with Brexit is it's the government on both sides, not just the UK, putting in a load of barriers. And that's the crisis we're going to potentially create and so i wonder how those forums will work when it comes to government sort of trying to trying, trying to solve the crisis when the crisis is coming from the people that are on, on on one side of the table to a certain extent am i being too cynical do you think no i i, I don't think you are being too cynical and and, and i i do actually agree with what you're saying which which is you know through covid we solved problems very very quickly because we had to and to a degree it was in it was within you know government's gift to do that you're right. Within this, we've got we've got two sides, and there's a negotiation going on, which at the moment seems to be not going the right way. Um, but I think the, the thing about government at the moment is they're really slow to understand the, the true impact. And you know, we've had this discussion and debate before, which is which is, um, you know, in order to make sure we've got a free flowing border, we've got to have sufficient customs agents. Uh, in place to be able to support the paperwork process and make sure that hauliers have got the, the correct paperwork. And we know with a new, uh, you know, another 220 million declarations on top of the 50 million that we do already, we require another 50,000 people over the next four months. And, you know, the, the, the state aid issue with the grants that, that government have said, look, you, you know, we, we will put grants into place so that, that, that if we are going to recruit, eight, eight, you know, um, agents between now and the year end, there's no revenue stream to support them. Um, well, you know, that's going to kind of protect businesses in terms of investing. But but the scale is just it's nowhere near supporting the requirements and needs at this stage. 
um, you know, for 50,000 people to be recruited, employed and trained in place at least three months before the end of the year is more like 450 million. They've tabled 84 million. But then this state aid issue, which is, you know, you can only draw down 180,000 pounds per company. Uh, you know, t- to support that process just means that the, the, these things are flawed. So how on earth can we prepare ourselves for the practical processes, the safety and security declarations, the, you know, the, the, the actual uh, customs declarations, etc. if we haven't got the people, the understanding and the processes in place? That's the biggest risk that I kind of see at the moment. Sorry, which has really come home to me in the last sort of, month or so and since the border operating model came out and what have you about this whole idea of the smart freight system and these it systems that really put the onus not just on the haulage copper company but on the driver to actually make brexit run smoothly and that is a fundamentally different job to the job that drivers have been doing for the last 40 well ever the last 40 years for sure and i'm not sure that there's a proper understanding yet either within government or outside of government about just how different and how how fundamentally operationally different that's going to be if that's going to work yeah and uh, again i think this is this is where government is just not thinking through the practical the practical detail you know when we come back to the number of the, you know the number of hauliers in terms of road transport i think it's something like 85% of the volume that comes on road from the eu into the uk is done by european hauliers And, you know, so where are we engaging with both European hauliers and with European businesses to say, this is our expectation, this is what you're going to need to use. And by the way, when you're going back, if you haven't used the Smart Freight app and given it to the driver and, you know, has the driver got the appropriate phone to actually put the app onto? You know, all of these basic questions that people don't seem to be asking. I was told this morning it's not going to be an app, but it probably will be an app by next week. And goodness knows what it's going to be. I genuinely don't know. And four and a half months out, it's it's pretty scary. Can I just ask can we sort of take our sort of eyes out of the short term and just quickly look at the at the long term? Yeah. One thing that sort of the, the, the optimistic thought that I cling to a little bit is one thing about Brexit friction, and there is going to be a lot of friction now, whatever the politicians say, it does put a lot more uh, requirement on the expertise of the haulage operator, logistics service provider. Um, do you think we will that will lead to some value and some opportunity coming back into haulage in the medium and long term? I think it's an interesting question. I think I, I, you know I think I think in terms of in terms of the changes that are going to be required within the sector, I, I think I think we need to be more and more vocal about about what does that mean. I think we're facing lots of financial challenges. You know, as a as a as a as a transport sector, anyway. You know, we're a very marginal sector. Again, eighty five percent of of the operators within within the UK are SME, uh, and you know that they're, they're struggling. You know, they're, they're undoubtedly struggling. They're certainly struggling to invest in in you know, I guess the level of equipment um, that they're going to need for the future. Um, the but, I, but but didn't a lot of a lot of, I'm sure there are and I don't know I didn't speak to all of them there are a lot of people who drove who driving driving lorries a lot of people involved in operational roles in in who probably voted for Brexit because they'd seen the erosion of the value of the market over forty years and the value of what they do is there a scenario where Brexit does deliver does put more pressure on the rest of the chain to value the, the logistics service more highly because it's more complicated. 
I, I, look, I, I think there was there was an argument that came out of COVID that said that it should value the supply chain far more than it does. Market market you know pressure always always prevails, doesn't it? And you know, in terms of market rates, where we had lots of empty running through COVID, uh, did those operators get a higher rate in order to support them? You know, regarding those food manufacturers and retailers that were doing okay, no, 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 they didn't. Were they were they confident about asking? No, they no, they weren't. Uh, and there was a financial impact. I, you know, I think I think that we've we've really got to do a lot uh, as trade associations to explain what the true cost of distribution is to try and change that. And the driver shortage is another another issue. And I'm hearing more and more things this week, Shane, where EU drivers are going back and access to drivers is becoming even more challenging than it was. And you'd expect with lower volume that that wouldn't be the case, but 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 it clearly is. So you know. How do we attract drivers? How do we retain drivers? How do we bring people in, into this industry? And how do we get the retailers and manufacturers to accept what the true cost is, what the true rates are, and the fact that this playing field is going, going to need to change in order to maintain the supply chain and, and the market generally will, you know, will prevail. Um, so I think that I think there is possibly, you know, some changes that we're going to see. I think the balance of trade, you know, depending on what deal we end up doing, what's that going to look like? Uh, and going back to the whole market access, you know, position, which is, which is, if we have to become far more self-sufficient as a nation, um, you know, does does that drive, you know, future benefit? You would absolutely hope so, but but I think at this stage, in terms of uh, as we're trying to cut through all of this, it's very difficult to see a clear picture yeah. of where that's going to come from at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. It's not it's, it's a hope, but it's not necessarily a reality you can plan for yet. Yeah. But that that neatly segues into my um my kind of last sort of sort of set of questions really. And it's sort of I think as you know, since I've sort of been in the Cold Chain Federation, um, I've been very clear that we have a sort of unique purpose and a space, a share of voice niche around the issues of sustainability and the, because of the specific pressures that come with sustainability agenda on the cold chain. Yeah. Um to me, one of the big challenge, the questions in that are really, um, do you think that there is at this point a strong enough awareness um, across the haulage industry, firstly, about the scale of the regulatory and financial pressure that's coming down the road linked to the green agenda um, for, for their operations? No, I, you know, I, I think there is an awareness, but I think I think that as an industry, we've always been slow to react to regulation and i think i think that that we always do our utmost to make sure that everyone's kind of up to speed part part of the problem with our industry is everyone's got their heads down and they're pretty much focused on getting the stuff out of the door you know keeping the wheels turning and you know having that time to really uh, absorb what, what what's going on out there you know i i, I think i think that's that's one of the fundamental issues around around communication we can we can throw information out of people but if people don't absorb it or don't read it then they won't kind of you know get themselves up to where they need to be and i think i think that's a big problem um and i think in terms of what's coming down the tracks from a regulatory perspective uh is is, it concerns you it concerns me we worry about it every single day we are shouting from the rooftops you know trying to support and protect you know the industry that, that 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 you know we represent um but 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 you know i I do think that we're going to be slow to react and people are going to get caught out. And it's a bit like direct vision standards as well. There are some organizations out there that have been slow to react to that 
with enormous cost uh, pressure and impacts to get themselves ready for for those changes or face you know face fines from 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 next year one of the one of the things that sort of stands out to me on this is i think that you know you know we shouldn't be too introspective about how the haulage industry is looking at the issue because i i'm concerned that the customers of the haulage industry the retailers the manufacturers the all the customers of supply within the supply chain often have more of an advanced sort of narrative around sustainability around what they're doing within their business within the bits they control they don't tend to talk that much about the rest of their supply chain and i wonder at what point and if it's even real will they start to realize that they have a big part to play in the investment in the haulage chain um if if they are going to achieve some of these net zero visions they talk about do you see any sort of evidence of that sort of awareness dawning on those sorts in that part of the the part of the industry sort of the bit up and downstream from us I think it's, it depends on the size of the company, Shane, and I think I think it depends on their their, their infrastructure and whether or not they've got you know resource and support to look at these things. Um, you know, so some businesses, you know, the larger scale businesses have, um, you know, the, the the sort of medium sized, uh, you know, or, or, or smaller enterprises really struggle with some of those elements, and I think I think you know that their customers are are, are probably in a similar position, depending on the, their scale and size. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just, I just think that, that um, the other issue that we're really facing is this whole, this whole issue of devolution and devolved responsibility. And the fact that we have so many, uh, you know, I guess, local authorities making the rules up with government taking this position of, 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 of devolving that responsibility to, to, to the local power. And, and that comes back to be the biggest, I think, challenge that we face at the moment is, is how on earth do we get alignment? How on earth do we get, you know, one set of measures rather than reinventing the wheel in every, every you know, every part of the country? Um, that's a real challenge. You, and you deserve, that was actually neatly segueing into my next question, which is, and I've, you know, commend you, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the RHA has got a lot, a significant amount more resource than the Gold Chain Federation, but you've still a relatively limited amount of resource trying your best to get on the ground in every local authority and sort of stand up for the 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 hauliers trying to serve cities around the country with their kind of fragmentation of rules i mean how do you even set yourself up to to do that job uh, richard well we really struggle you know shane let's let, let's be honest you know we're we're, we're we're i think we're good in terms of dealing with westminster uh, you know, if you if if you look at if you look at Stormont, you know, which I guess is coming back round again, and, and the Welsh Assembly and Scottish Parliament, you know, I think we're structured in a way where we engage with with, with those areas really, really well. When you come to the cities and the towns, you know, we're, we're having to use, our, I guess, our regional structures, our regional management to really engage and tackle some of those local issues. You know, whether it's the you know the Port of Southampton, City of Southampton you know, clean air zone impact there, or, you know, whether it's Oxford, um, we, you know, we, we are really trying to put sort of, you know, uh, boots on the ground to tackle those issue, issues locally. And it's a growing problem because we, we haven't got unlimited resource to go and tackle every single town and city in the country. Um, and, and like I said before, you know, whether you've got Birmingham, Manchester, you know, London, all doing different things as well, You've got to put an element of, of of influence and try and use, I guess, the press as much as we possibly can to get issues out there, put pressure on, uh, and highlight some of these issues to, to to try and get resolution. But but it's really difficult 
really difficult. Yeah, and I, and I guess one of the problems, and I sort of have some limited experience of it, is is you start on the back foot because there's a pretty negative, there tends to be a pretty negative mindset about Hawley, about, about Hawley as at that sort of level of government. And well, it's not just government, it's the, it's the people around the kind of local city administration, the local authority have strong views about cycling, whatever else it is. How do you, and I guess one of the one things that slightly worries me is that you know, in fighting, in putting, trying to put out lots of fires everywhere, the overall narrative sounds, to starts to sound quite negative. Um, from the from the haulage sector, how do you sort of think we sort of tackle that problem? Well, I think I, I think we need to tackle some of these problems with you know with with, with real evidence, uh, and it needs to kind of come from an evidence base. And it's a bit like clean air, isn't it? That that, that through COVID, obviously, you know, air improved massively because there were very few cars on the road. There were there were still you know a lot of trucks on the road, and this industry has invested heavily in. Uh, you know, in, in Euro 6 technology to actually clean its act up. So, so, so we've done a lot. Yes, we need to do more. Uh, and there are financial constraints in and around that. But, but you know, we, we, have, we have done a great deal. Um, and, and we need to demonstrate to government and local authorities that, that actually they're tackling the wrong issues. You know, they need to be tackling cars. They need to be tackling motorists. But those are, those are voters. And... Um, it, you know, it also comes back to to, to, to providing evidence, you know, in, in other areas where we're having to try and challenge that the cycling lobby are incredibly strong. And, you know, we, we always seem to come off worse because, because you know, it's it's always trucks that, that, that uh, you know, kill cyclists. But if you look at, if you look at the detail that sits behind that, that's not the case. Uh, and actually, certainly if you look at London, which is the where the lion's share of the problem is, you know, you have a very high proportion of female, uh, you know, deaths uh, from from international countries, which also highlights an education issue. Uh, and so, we, you know, we go to the haulage industry to go and fix the problem because it's political and, and it ticks a box. But actually, we need to drive the evidence back to say, you know, look, don't use us uh, as an excuse um, you know, you, you've got to get to the root cause of the problem, actually tackle the root cause of the problem if we're going to see an improvement, um, because we do, I think, a very good job as an industry in terms of investing and trying to do the right thing. Yeah, totally. And uh, so but, but taking it back up and taking it back up to the top level again, the sort of sort of more national or even international level. Do you think we've got a good enough grasp as an industry of what good looks like when it comes to net zero? Do we sort of have a pathway that we can have confidence in of what of how we get to the sort of 2050 visions that the government um, is laying down as a challenge. No, I, that, yeah, that sounds like a very <laughs> a very direct answer, but but <laughs> but, but I th- I think it was really interesting. I, you know, I was on a uh, a round table meeting with Grant Chaps, um, which was uh, it's probably about four weeks ago, and it was it was a net zero meeting, but it was all, also about autonomous, and the stakeholders that were sitting on that call. There's a real cross-section range of stakeholders from the logistics industry, uh, but also from the manufacturing, well, you know, car and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess heavy vehicle uh, industry, but more van than, 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 than truck uh, and a lot of tech that sat behind all of that. And I think what was really confusing was, was you know, Grant Chaps is saying that we need to be at the forefront, uh, you know, of, of this. We need to be the leading country, the, you know, the global uh, leader in terms of in terms of autonomous and, and, and net zero, um, 
And yet there seemed to be a complete lack of understanding about, about the freight industry and how the freight industry really works and where those elements, you know, could be set and having the right stakeholders around, around the room, because if you talk to the truck manufacturers, they're talking about Euro 7. They're not necessarily talking about electric. They might be talking about gas in, in, in some circumstances. But, 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 but the point is, we're not having conversations, you know, or the government's not having conversations or including those manufacturers in their thinking to say, where do we need to get to? What do we need to do? What are your views? You know, what are your views in terms of what's going to work and how, how clean will it be? Um, it feels very unjoined up at the moment, and I, I, I just, I just don't think we're thinking about it in the right way. And you know as well as I do when we talk about electric, you know, there are examples of of, of, of electric trucks out there. MAN have created one. You know, it costs four hundred thousand pounds, twenty six ton. You know, rigid payload goes down, uh, and uh, it's just unviable. So, so until we get to a position where, you know, we can we can look at uh, uh, what does that that, that kind of uh, sustainable uh, you know future view look like that's that's cost effective? Um, I think we're a million miles away from from achieving government's target of net zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, but I think, I think, I think we you know, and I think we've got to we've got to start we've got to ground our feet in the realistic and be all about that because you know without. Without being realistic, we're going to lose our, our base, if you like, in terms of the hoardiest, because there's nothing but pragmatism and realism and and sorting out what we can do in the next two years or next six months, two months, whatever, in our in haulage. Um, but that vision for the steps that are required to get to net zero and the, the model, the regulatory model and the financial support model, the taxation model that goes alongside that, I think you've done quite a lot already to sort of set the framework for that within the work you've done in RHA. And I think that's an area where we certainly are keen to work with you and others um, to, to do, because if we don't define it for ourselves, it's going to get defined for us and they're probably going to define it wrong, I think would be my view. I think I think we've 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 tried to do a, a, a you know a, a, a lot. We you know we've definitely tried to, to to kind of put some logical arguments forward, uh, and what support. And I go back to probably you know the early comment that I made. You know when we were talking about capital investment in the future and Whitehall, and I think there is a realization that, that actually we are a very marginal industry that really struggles. And if 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 the government wants us to go faster then there needs to be some sort of support mechanism in terms of in terms of capital investment to speed that process up. And I think that's coming. And I think that, that, that you know, DFT and Treasury, uh, you know, are certainly working together and waking up to that. But, you know, it's it's really joining up these disjointed elements within, you know, within government to kind of get that focus and get that result. Um, and it takes an enormous amount of effort, you know, to, 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 to just keep this war of attrition with them and getting to, you know, to really understand. But um, that's the job. That's brilliant. Richard, I really appreciate it. I've got one, so my sort of last question to you really is, what do you think are the causes for optimism that cold chain hauliers can focus on in the months ahead? Well, look, you know, I, I, I think, I think the optimism is, is, you know, certainly from, from, from a, a cold chain perspective, you know, food is is critically important, isn't it? You know, and and, and let's face it, you know, the the predominant element is is going to be about food. Yes, there'll be temperature temperature controlled elements in in other parts of the supply chain, but 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 food is critically important, and um, there is definitely a buoyancy 
around that. I think there is certainly a sense of feeling coming out of COVID about self-sufficiency within the UK. And I think future opportunities to to really concentrate on, you know, maybe greater stock holdings, how, how we actually, uh, you know, cope with 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 what we've got and how we grow what we've got in the UK, as, as opposed to to dealing with with the, the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. So I think from that, I think there there, there are going to be there, there are certainly going to be changes. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully those those changes are going to be beneficial to support your sector specifically. Richard, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Gen- generous with your time as ever. And I look forward to seeing you many times in the coming weeks and months around different government meetings and discussions as we continue to fight the good fight. It, look, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, Shane. Thank you for, for taking the time to, you know, to talk this afternoon. And, and, and equally, you know, I, I think you're doing a great job uh, for the Coal Chain, you know, Federation, and uh, you know, I know, I know you're working really hard to get those messages out there. So let's uh, let's continue to work together, and and, and thank you again for uh, for this afternoon. Brilliant. Thanks. Take care. So that's our program. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I'm sure that if you're involved in uh, road haulage or temperature control logistics in the UK, you've probably heard Richard Burnett's voice on different mediums and media through the past couple of years. Um, there's not been any sort of interest in all things road haulage in the national and local media. Um, but I think you've probably not heard him in such a reflective mood as uh, as, as you did in that conversation. And I was really pleased and uh, grateful to him for being so sort of candid and and, and thoughtful in, in, in how he addressed the questions that I um, had the impertinence to ask him. Um, one of the things that um, comes up quite often, not all the time, but occasionally to any trade association leader like myself, and probably Richard gets it as well, from companies saying, well, why are there so many different trade associations? You know, if what surely one industry only needs one voice or it only needs a small number of voices. And it's a pretty important challenge for anyone in, in, in my job to to reflect on. And in a way, I would say this, wouldn't I? But I think that actually right now in today's world it's important that the industry has a number of different voices because if you think about it from the point of view who's on the other side of a lot of the debates we're involved in whether it's the sustainability debate or the debate about brexit or any of the other big issues facing our sector those that have a view on the outside of our industry are many and the the non-government charitable and campaigning networks are fragmented and coordinated and informal in how they operate uh, interaction with each other but they come together as a very powerful collective voice and I think that's important thing for us us as an industry to achieve as well so that's one of the main reasons why I think um, we do need a multiplicity of voices that doesn't mean though that we don't have to be reflecting carefully about how we make sure we deliver best value for our members um, for the investment that they make in their representative bodies and that's something that we continue to talk about and consider all the time Anyway, um, that's our show today. Um, the latest in our series of, of interviews with with, um, with with industry leaders. I've got one more of those to come. Um, I'm going to be talking to Richard Harrow, the Chief Executive of the British Frozen Food Federation, um, and take his perspective on very specifically the issues around leading an organisation that's there to champion um, the products that we store and move. So look out for that one. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Um, in a couple of weeks time and then there'll be much more programs throughout the year and as i announced last uh, last time we are now uh 
embracing a whole new virtual program of events coming to you in the autumn. I'm really excited about our Cold Chain Live program in October, which is going to be a, the first definitive industry event for the Cold Chain delivered to you um, in a number of different formats and mediums throughout that throughout that month. And then the Young Cold Chain Insight and the Cold Chain Connect series, providing you with really high quality content. So check it out. Look at, look at the website. Make sure you've got it on your radar. Make sure you're sharing the details of those events with your friends and get involved in what we're all about. Until next time, thank you very much.